Every now and then I am riding in my car listening to the radio and I hit the scan button. The scan button is the one that moves on to the next available station and it pauses for exactly five seconds. And every now and then, not as much as in Denver as it occurs in the south, but still every now and then, even in Denver, it lands on a radio preacher. And it takes about five seconds to hear two things. Dripping sentimentality and allegory. In which every person or thing that the preacher describes means one thing and one thing only. Deployed for a religious purpose, of course. And I'm glad when the scanner moves on. Although it often moves on to a pop station. Interestingly enough, pop songs sometimes suffer from the same characteristics. (laughs) Deployed for a very, very different purpose, of course. When John's gospel tells the story of the resurrection, John is neither sentimental nor allegorical. John's voice is subtle. Clear, detailed, specific, but subtle. And each thing or person that John describes has not one but multiple layers of meaning. So many layers of meaning that there's not really a right or wrong answer. For example, John tells us, and John's the only gospel writer that tells us this, when Mary Magdalene went to the tomb, it was still dark. We know about darkness. Darkness can be ordinary. Darkness can be extraordinary. Darkness can be ambiguous. Darkness can be fascinating. Darkness can be frightening. It all depends. This parish, this cathedral is named after the fourth gospel, St. John's. And St. John's unique contribution among the four Gospels to the resurrection story is the way in which he depicts that the Easter, the first Easter or resurrection is mysterious and yet ordinary. Ineffable and yet relatable. Nowhere is this more true than when John gets to the part where Mary Magdalene recognizes the risen Christ, where Mary Magdalene gets it. She goes to the tomb while it was dark. She can't see anything. She encounters this elusive, mysterious, mistakable presence. And supposing him to be the gardener, taking us back to Eden, supposing him to be the gardener, she finally hears one word, Miriam, Miriam. John does not tell us, but I imagine the risen Christ saying her name just above a whisper. John does not tell us, but I imagine him saying her name with unimaginable tenderness, spoken 
as her name is, from the other side of death. A priest friend of mine is is named Doug, and he's spent, he's almost 90 now, and doing real well. I hope to be doing real well when I'm 90. (laughs) And a huge part of his ministry for decades has been going to the diocesan camp, a camp much like the one we have near Colorado Springs in this diocese of Colorado called Cathedral Camp. And he goes every year to summer camp. And one of the themes in Doug's ministry about camp is everybody has a place at camp. One of his stories concerns a kid that they had called him about because they were nervous this kid was not going to do well. It was 10-year-old camp. The kid had never been to camp before. He was coming from the coast. He was actually coming from an orphanage, a place that still exists in Mobile, Alabama, called Wilmer Hall. And they called my friend Doug to say, I want you to watch out for this kid. Partly what was going to be complex is this child had impetigo. And back then, they were treating impetigo with gensum violet. Do you know what this is? I still remember it from a kid. I don't know if they still use it. But they would paint this purple on you to prevent the infection from spreading by touch. The good news is it prevented the infection from spreading. The bad news is you were purple on your hands and arms and legs. Doug was ready for the child. The bus from Mobile arrived. He looked and looked and looked and looked and never saw his 10-year-old. So he got up on the bus and saw him in the back of the bus. The child looked like what you would imagine he did. He coaxed him to getting off the bus, coaxed him into getting to lunch, and tried to integrate him into camp life. Everybody was having a great time. He did not. And for two or three days, this went on. And one night, finally, the kid ran off. And Doug was just terrified that he was running away. He finally found him after a couple of hours of searching on one of the bluffs there at camp that overlooks a creek called Clear Creek. Doug talked to him for a long time, eventually talked him off the cliff, and got him back to the cabin. One of the sad things about what had been going on for two or three days is that no one called him his name. They called him Purple Boy, largely behind his back. Doug got him back to the camp. He thought everybody was asleep. It was midnight, dark, silent as it could be. And then all of a sudden, Doug heard, Good night, John. The boy's name was John. Good night, Ralph. Good night, John. Good night, Jimmy. All the way around. All Nine boys finally said his name, and John knew that there was a place for him at camp, and he did well. He did real well. Supposing him to be the gardener, and the risen Christ says, Miriam, Mary. There is so much about Easter that I don't understand. 
But this one part, I think we can all grasp. Maybe faith in the risen Christ at its heart, maybe faith in the risen Christ is the simple desire to hear the risen Christ say our names. To speak our names with unimaginable tenderness from the other side of death. So that whether we are in life or we are in death, we are able to remember. We are able to remember who we are and whose we are. Namely, God's.